So if you, wow, I'm going to have your attention today. Uh, if, if you're one of those parents with, with five kids, make sure you do see me. We do want to get you flowers. Um, in the second service, our tiebreaker will be if you have five kids, but you're the first one to have a sixth one, then you get the flower. <clears throat> uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, we're going to continue in Hebrews for the rest of the month. Our family month this year is in June. Usually family month comes in May. This year it's going to be in June. We'll be looking at family issues during that month. But today we're still in chapter 10 of Hebrews. I'd like you to look there. I'll read for us verses 5 through 14. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, we'll put it on the screen as well. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. He sets aside the first covenant to establish the second. And by that will... We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Verse 5 again. Therefore, and that therefore relates back to the previous verses. Therefore, that is since the same sacrifice is repeated endlessly year after year can never make perfect those who draw near to worship. Verse 2. And since, verse 4, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Our author is quoting scripture once again. He quotes scripture more often than anyone else in the New Testament. And this time it's Psalm chapter 40. He recognized the unusual vocabulary of that psalm as the words of Jesus. God had prepared him a body, prepared it in the virgin's womb. When Christ came into the world, now he's thinking about the incarnation, he took possession of that body, specially made for him, and noticed that it was necessary because God did not desire sacrifice and offering, and because, verse 6, with burnt offerings and sin offerings, God was not pleased. Now that needs some clarification, doesn't it? God is the one who instructed the Jewish people to give the sacrifices. The system of sacrifice was written into the old covenant on which God and the nation had agreed. The first readers of this letter were born into that system and were very familiar with it. They recognized the sacrifices mentioned in this passage as a kind of catalog of all the offerings required by God under the old covenant. Sacrifices, offerings, whole burnt offerings, sin offerings, 
So why did the psalmist and later our author say that God neither wanted them? That's verse 8. The NIV translates, you did not desire, nor was pleased with them. That the law established under the old covenant required sacrifices, offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings, was undeniable. That's probably something these Jewish Christ followers had heard a thousand times from friends and family and maybe from the local rabbi. The law requires this. The law they were reminded, the law that we revere and love, God's greatest gift to us, the law that gives us our identity as God's people and distinguishes us from everyone else on earth, the law says we must make these sacrifices. And you're not making them. And the law does say that. There's the Passover sacrifice, Exodus chapter 12, Numbers chapter 9, Deuteronomy chapter 16. There are the Day of Atonement sacrifices, sin offerings. Leviticus 16, we have fellowship and free will offerings in Leviticus 3, Leviticus 6, burnt offerings in Leviticus 29 and elsewhere, all over the Pentateuch. The covenant drawn up by God himself and agreed to by Israel's leaders called for the presentation of all these sacrifices and offerings, and yet our author says that God didn't want them and he wasn't pleased with them. His first readers might have thought that our author was taking liberties. But it wasn't just our author. Remember, he's quoting the psalmist who said the same thing hundreds of years earlier. Israel's greatest judge, Samuel, said it even before that. We find the same kind of thing in the prophets. In Isaiah, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Jeremiah, your sacrifices don't please me. Hosea, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And in Amos and in Micah and in the other prophets as well. So did God want these sacrifices or not? I think the answer is clear. He wanted the sacrificers. If he couldn't have the sacrificer, he didn't want the sacrifice. Sacrifices were always meant to be a way for the worshiper to give himself or herself to God. To say to God, I give you this because you're worthy of all that I am and all that I have. Unfortunately, instead of seeing sacrifice as an opportunity to give themselves to God, people saw it as a burden and gave themselves to devising ways to offer as little as possible. They did only what was absolutely necessary to meet the law's demands, nothing to meet the Spirit's desires. They fulfilled, or at least they acted like they were trying to fulfill the letter of the law. The spirit of the law, they never bothered to consider. You see why God didn't want their sacrifices? Today's Mother's Day. Some of you men, as Don mentioned earlier, probably said this week, maybe yesterday, last night, whoa, what is the least I can do for Mother's Day in order to stay out of trouble? And if a card was enough, you bought a card. If a card and dinner out was enough, you settled for that. You did what was required. 
You think your mom or your wife is pleased with that? Probably not. Now, for purposes of full disclosure, (laughs) I have been that guy way too many times. And it's not that I don't love my wife. I'm totally in love with my wife. It's not that I didn't love my mother. It's that I'm always busy and these things just kind of sneak up on me. And besides that, you know, I'm not the least gift-oriented. Fortunately, my wife is not either. That's a great gift to me. (laughs) You know, I always do something, but sometimes it's an afterthought. That's just what God complained about. He didn't like being an afterthought. And their sacrifices, rather than representing their gratitude and devotion, represented the least amount of time they could possibly give and still get by. God wanted the sacrificer, not the sacrifice. That is still true. When we take an offering, as we did a little while ago, whether you give a little or a lot or none at all, is not the issue. What matters is whether you give yourself. If you're trying to give as little as possible, your gift is no more welcome to God than those sacrifices of verse 8, even if you're giving a fortune. But if when you give, whether it's a little or a lot or none at all, you say, God, I give you myself, and this money is a token of my life and my devotion, which are entirely yours, then God is pleased. God said, I'm not pleased with mere sacrifices and offerings. I want you. Now look at what Christ says when he comes into the world. He says, here I am. My whole self is yours. I have come to do your will, O God. God prepared a body for him so that he would be able to give it and himself back to God. Sacrifices And offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. I've come to do your will, O God. God gave Christ a body so that Christ could give that body back to God. Now here's the thing. He gave you a body for the very same reason. Sometimes people going through a hard time in their life and marriage or finances or health, often when it's just one thing after another, have said to me, what does God want from me? You know what? That's a great question. And the answer is, he wants you. All of you. All the time. The sacrifice God has always wanted is you. Christ made the perfect sacrifice that we couldn't make. He gave himself perfectly, completely, fully. He gave himself even unto death, as Philippians 2 puts it, even unto death on a cross. His was the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice that all sacrifices, offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings, pointed to and signified. Those sacrifices could never take away sin, but Christ's sacrifice could. Often when we talk about Christ's sacrifice, that's how we frame it. He died so that our sins could be forgiven and we could go to heaven when we die. Now that's true. It is necessary to say that that is not how the scriptures usually frame it. It's true 
But it's not the whole truth. It's not just that Christ died for us, as important as that is. It's what Christ does with us. We benefit from his self-offering because we are joined to him by faith, joined to his sacrifice. Think of what the Bible says about our union with Christ in his sacrifice. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. That's Romans 6, verse 2. Our old self was crucified. Paul makes up a word here. It's literally co-crucified with him, Romans 6, 6. I have been, Galatians 2.20, crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. May I never boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's Galatians 6.14. If we died with Christ, if we died with him, we believe that we'll also live with him, Romans 6.8. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. And alive to God in Christ Jesus, Romans 6.11. We often think that Christ died so that our sins could be forgiven, which was only necessary, or at least that's how we think, because someday we will face judgment. Now, that much of it's true to biblical revelation, but again, it's not the whole truth. We need forgiveness not just because we'll stand before God's judgment someday, but so that we can serve as priests in his kingdom today. Christ's sacrifice for sins means that you can serve God on earth now and in heaven forever. We'll see more about that in a moment. So Christ the pioneer, the one who goes before, remember that is a repeated theme in the book of Hebrews, went before in this as well. He offered himself not so that you could get off the hook someday, but so that you can get on the roster today. The duty roster. He gave himself up for us so that we could give ourselves up to God. In Levitical terminology, you could say that his life was a sin offering, the sin offering, so that our lives could be thank offerings. He didn't die so that we could save our skins, but so that we could give our bodies just as he did. That's the meaning of Paul's plea. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy expressed supremely in Christ's sacrifice, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The sacrifice Paul talks about there is not at all the way of the world. The way of the world to which Paul referred in the next verse and to which the prophets all testified is in just the opposite direction to give as little as possible to meet the requirements while avoiding altogether giving oneself. That not only displeases God, think of the Mother's Day gift I was just talking about, but it displeases the giver. That scrimping, miserly, parsimonious kind of life is always a miserable one, even when money is the only thing at stake. But it's a death sentence when it's your very self that's at stake. What did Jesus tell us? Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. 
Now, was Jesus trying to be witty or make up paradoxes to entertain us? No, he was telling us the way that life really works. His kind of life, the eternal kind, that's rich with meaning and full of interest and excitement. Life more abundant was his way of putting it. And how does he know life works that way? He knows because he lived it. He lost his life for our sakes, only to find it again, safe in his father's hands. Now, this section builds to a climax in verse 10. One of the ways we know it's a climax is the first time our author uses the full name Jesus Christ in this epistle. He saved it for now. And by that will, by God's will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. How? There's a lot in that verse that we're not going to unpack. But let me just ask this. How can Christ's one sacrifice be sufficient for our many sins? Theologians have wrestled with that question forever. The usual answer has to do with the infinite merit of the sacrifice as compared to the finite demerit of the sinner. I don't deny that there's truth to that answer, but frankly, it's never satisfied me. And the reason, I think, is that no biblical writer ever makes that comparison. They never bothered to do the math. Infinite merit divided by finite sins. They see another principle at work. They see a finite sinner bonded by faith to the infinite Savior. It's not math that's at work here, but chemistry. The chemistry of divine love. Faith is the bonding agent that unites us to Christ. We share his perfect obedience and loving sacrifice and are sanctified. We're made holy. Verse 14 expands on that remarkable claim. Those who are being made holy in the presence, present uh, participle in Greek, are the same ones who are made perfect forever, or as that could be translated, perpetually. What a different perspective that is from what we're used to. We often say or hear people say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But this passage teaches that we are saints made perfect forever. If I'm just a sinner, as if a person united to Christ can be just in anything. If I'm just a sinner, I can be satisfied with getting into heaven by the skin of my teeth. But if I am a completed saint made holy by the sacrifice of Christ, then I am cleared for service to God and his people now with Christ, and I'm always with Christ. I can, I must say, here I am. I have come to do your will, O God. Here I am as the refrain of God's people throughout history. When God spoke to Abraham, On that terrible night, Genesis 22, Abraham answered, Here I am. Jacob answered, Here I am. Moses answered, Here I am. Samuel answered, Here I am. David answered, Here I am. Isaiah mixed it up a little bit and said, Here am I. When God speaks, what will you answer? Mom of a special needs kid wondering if you'll ever feel rested again in your life. Will you say, here I am? 
and give yourself in sacrificial service to God to raise those children, don't think it'll make it harder. It will make it easier. Even making meals will become a service to God, an act of worship. Parents, will you model Christ's self-giving for your children? Will you raise them to believe that God prepared a body for them so that they could give it back to him, saying, here I am. I've come to do your will, O God. Teacher, will you render priestly service to God by giving yourself to serve the students he's given you? Businessman, businesswoman, will you give yourself to God in priestly service to do business to his glory and to others' good? Factory worker, will you offer up auto parts like sacrifices to God because you first offered yourself to him? People who aren't used to saying, here I am, who've been hiding all their lives, will not be able to say, here I am, in death. They'll still be hiding. They know judgment is coming. We looked at that last week. It's appointed unto man once to die, but after that, judgment. They know it's coming, and they know they're not right. And they know they're not right because they've been trying to give God as little as possible of their time and goods and none of themselves. And now they're going to face him. But for those who've learned to say, here I am, during their years on earth, for whom that's become a refrain, death is simply a transition, a promotion to service in heaven. When God calls for them in death, they will answer like they've always done, like Abraham did, like Jacob did like Moses, like Samuel, like David, like Isaiah, and like Jesus, the great forerunner, they will say, here I am. I've come to do your will, O God. Get in the habit of saying it now. Now let's pray. God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. We thank you for what he's done for us, but also by the miracle of grace, what he's done with us, by taking us into himself. Grant that we, by your Spirit, might know and express that same life of devotion to you for his sake. Amen.